Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Last week we ended our series on uh, the book of Esther. I hope that you enjoyed that. Now we're going to start a new series this morning from 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Written about the time uh, in the first century. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, right about uh, 50, so about 20 years after uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a time of intense Roman persecution, going after the Christians. Uh, So much so, and so brutal was the Roman Empire on the Christians of the first century that there were a group of people that told that were making fun of the Christians in Thessalonica and telling them uh, that they had missed the rapture and that what they were going through in that first century was in fact the tribulation period. And so God wanted them to know that they were not going through the tribulation period and that was a, that was something that was going to come later and still is going to come later. Uh, <clears throat> it has not arrived yet. And he wrote them two letters by the hand of the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, to the church at Thessalonica to let them know that they had not missed the rapture and God had not appointed them to wrath. And I just thought that in the day and age in which we live, that it would be good for us to remind, be reminded that if you are in Christ, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that God has not appointed you to wrath. Uh, but by, but for salvation through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at this, give you a little bit of history and background this morning, and then give you some practical applications that I hope uh, will help you in your Christian life and help you to be able to help others uh, in, to see uh, the truth. I hope you're working on your scripture memory. Uh, if you are not, for 20 24, there are copies up here, Psalm 49. It's a great passage of Scripture just to be reminded that it is the fool that has said in his heart there is no God, and it is the wise, discerning Christian uh, that looks for God to be working. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning. You help me to be a blessing to those that have gathered. And as we look at these two, uh, two letters... Uh, Over the next several weeks, I pray uh, that we'd be encouraged that persecution is nothing new and that we would be encouraged uh, that you have not appointed us to wrath and that we would look to that day when the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And we look forward to that day. In the meantime, we pray for your grace and your wisdom. Father, I pray for that person uh, that is here or listening uh, by way of technology, either now or at a later date, uh, that does not know you as their Savior. I pray that they'd be admonished this morning to flee the wrath to come and embrace your salvation. Well, thank you for all that you do this morning as we pray and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. First Thessalonians, the first chapter, the first verse says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Knowing, brethren, uh, beloved, uh, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word, and notice this, in much affliction, much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And those two cities are of, of note. We'll talk about those in just a moment. Verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak of anything. In other words, uh, many times when Paul wrote a letter, the people would think, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. And a lot of times when Paul wrote a letter, he was addressing problems. Uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, they had some real issues, and Paul was setting things straight. Uh, But here he says, hey, the the letter comes in the mail, and people look, are we in trouble? (laughs) Paul wrote to us a letter, oh no, we're in trouble. And so in this first chapter he says, hey, you're not in any trouble, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to help you. Your faith to God works, spread abroad in anything. Uh, verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And, verse 10, talking about the blessed hope, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, from wrath to come. And if you underline in your Bible, that last phrase is going to be an important theme throughout Thessalonians, who hath delivered us from wrath to come. We've not been appointed to wrath, but, but again, to a salvation. So where is this Thessalonica? Well, everybody knows where Italy is. Uh, Italy is the, is the boot. And just to the east of Italy is the uh, Adriatic Sea, and so you've got Italy, and you've got the Adriatic Sea, and then you've got Greece. Starts, uh, it starts up at the top and comes around and extends down into the uh, Mediterranean. <coughs> Athens, so you've got Greece and Italy over here, and the Adriatic Sea, and down in the bottom of Greece, just along the Mediterranean, is Athens, and most people are familiar with that. And then on the east of that, so you've got Italy, you've got water, you've got Greece, Athens down here at the bottom, you've got uh, some more uh, water. And uh, Athens, of course, on the Mediterranean, uh, the Sea of Crete. And then if you follow the Sea of Crete up uh, to the north, uh, that bay, that body of water, that gulf, the Thermatic Gulf, and it's up there where Thessalonica is. You've got Italy, water, Greece, water, and then follow to the top. And just on the, on the eastern coast of, of Greece is, is Thessalonica. 
a beautiful, beautiful uh, spot uh, in the world, a beautiful harbor, beautiful waterfront. It was a place. It was a place to go. It was an old city founded in 315 BC. Uh, so, if you do your math, you'll find out that it is 2,339 years old. Uh, it's got uh, quite a history. At the time that Paul is writing this, their population in the city proper is about 200,000. Today, their population in the city itself is about 320,000. And in the Thessalonica metropolitan area is about 1.2 million. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty good size, uh, uh, city and uh, quite, uh, quite busy. A lot of commerce, a lot of things going on. It's Greece. In Greece, you have Greeks. Greeks are known for idolatry. Uh, they're known for false religion. They were known for immorality. Uh, they were known for their heathen temples. Uh, they were noted for their profane and their immoral conduct in worship. And it is in that city and in that climate that the church of Thessalonica was birthed. And you think you've got it bad in Fairfax County. Now that was a, it was a tough climate to be in. And as far as we know, in that city, it was the only gospel witness. Now we are blessed in Northern Virginia to have many good churches, good gospel witnesses preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're scattered all around the beltway. Did not used to be that way. Uh, but we are, we are blessed to have that, uh, today. And the church was founded on Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17. And we'll go there in just a few moments. And again, they are living in the midst of an idolatrous and perverted world. So when the Christians are gathering, uh, you imagine this, this group of people who are in the midst of all this perversion, ungodliness, idolatry, and they're... They're living out their Christian testimony. It's difficult for them because people have identified them as Christians and they're saying to them, oh, yeah, God doesn't love you. God's left you behind. Oh, that's all. They, they knew enough of the Bible to, to give these folks a hard time. They give, to give them a hard time uh, physically, personally, and doctrinally, uh, they told them, you've been left behind. You've been left behind. You've missed it. God's, God doesn't love you. God's not coming for you. Uh, so the, the purpose of Thessalonians is threefold. Uh, number one, it was to confirm doctrine. To confirm doctrine. Uh, we see that in verse 9, Paul commended them for turning to God. Turning is a definition of repentance. They had turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. They had an about faith, change of mind, change of heart, change of direction, which is a, a wonderful definition of, of repentance. And so he wants to confirm doctrine that you haven't missed the coming of the Lord. He wants to condition holy living. Living right is still the right thing to do, no matter what 
everybody around us is doing. It's still important to live right. And to comfort them about the Lord's return. So doctrinal, personal, holy living, and comfort that you have not missed the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to them in verse 7 that they are in samples. And what a wonderful thing it is for the Lord, through Paul, to say to you, you're a wonderful example of what Christianity ought to be. What a great compliment. Again, often when Paul's letters would come, it was bad news because you were doing something wrong. But here, uh, Paul's writing and says, hey, well done. You are a good example of holy living. Uh, Keep it up. So they were a model church in the midst of intense persecution. They were saved. They were sound. They were suffering. They were soul winning. They were separated. They were serving. They were a church that had sight, vision. They were able to see beyond their present circumstances. And what a, what a blessing that is. If you've ever been involved in persecution or suffering, you've had a medical condition or uh, just bad news after bad news after bad news, uh, things going on in your life, and had an occasion to think from Satan, where is the Lord in all of this? Uh, just Thessalonians tells us, you're not alone, this is nothing new. But the ability to see God working in your circumstances. Uh, somebody said to me recently, Pastor, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? <clears throat> well, I know exactly where the Lord is. He is always, everywhere, ever-present. He is a very present help in time of trouble. The question to me is not, where is the Lord? Uh, the question is, where are you? Where am I in, in that suffering? So we're going to start at verse 10 and kind of work our way around the passage and other passages this morning. Again, this is an uh, overview, uh, kind of an introduction uh, to the book. But the most important part of this book is found in verse 10, because that's the theme all the way through. Delivered from wrath to come. And that's uh, verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from wrath to come. We're familiar uh, with the timeline. Uh, We've got uh, creation and the Old Testament. And we've got Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem. We've got his, his life ministry. He went... And died, he died on the cross, was placed in the grave. Three days later, he rose again. And that ushered in of the church age, which is where we are now. And we're looking for verse 10. What is verse 10? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what verse 10 says. That's what they were looking for. That's what we are looking for. At any moment now, the trumpet could sound. I sent out a couple of texts this morning uh, to um, Pastor Friends Ministries uh, that I pray for on Sunday morning. and said, hey, looking to the eastern sky, uh, praying for my friends to the east. Looking at the eastern sky, praying for my friends to the west. <clears throat> but uh, we should be looking for the return 
Paul said to them, you should be looking for my return. In the midst of persecution, we should be reminded that at some point, we're going to be taken out of this mess, and revelation, the tribulation period, is going to kick in. What a, what a terrible time that is going to be. A persecution that the Bible describes as such as the world has never experienced. Uh, calamities and earthquakes and uh, warfare on an unprecedented level. Unprecedented. Sunday school, last week, Greg Parsons' class, uh, Tom Oldenburg's out of town, so the auditorium class this morning, Brother Parsons will be teaching that, and he, he has said over the last several weeks, uh, persecution is coming. Persecution is here. Persecution is assured. And evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, the Bible tells us. <clears throat> but we should not be. Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul, writing to the young preacher Timothy in the third chapter and the twelfth verse said to him, Yea, and all that will live godly will suffer persecution. You're going to do the right thing. It's just a matter of time before, before somebody questions you or pushes you on that matter of righteous and holy living. Last week we talked about Pastor Kevin Corey who had, uh, uh, had accepted a assistant pastor. He had accepted a, a position as senior pastor uh, down in the Lynchburg area. And while burning documents, poured gasoline on it, the, gas, the fire followed into the gas can, the gas can exploded, covered him with uh, burning gasoline. He was on fire, burned over 80% of his body. As he breathed in... <gasps> He breathed in the flames. He had, uh, he had burns on the inside. He had burns on the outside and lived for just about a week uh, before he took his last breath just last week and uh, went, went to be to, with the Lord in heaven. When he closed his eyes on this earth and he woke up in the presence of Jesus Christ, he was an absolute fervent believer, had a wonderful testimony of God's salvation personally in his own life. He woke up in the presence of Jesus, the pain was gone, the suffering was gone, and he, uh, he is free from the bondage of this uh, mortal body. But a person without Christ, they may have the most peaceful entry into eternity. But what a horrible realization to enter into eternity and found, find that you had a peaceful exit from this world, only to wake up in eternal flames that will never be extinguished. That's short-sighted. Psalm 49, our memory passage, tells us that that's short-sighted. Verse 20 of, of uh, Psalm 49 tells us that a man in honor, that, that who is of honor, but understandeth not, doesn't understand those things, like a beast that perishes. Foolish. Revelation chapter 6 tells us that during the tribulation period, again, we're in the church age, we're listening for the trumpet to sound, for the dead in Christ to rise first, and then there are going to be seven years of intense persecution. Revelation chapter 6 tells us what the people on that side of the rapture are going to think. 
what they're going to feel. Those folks that are left here on this earth. Revelation 6.16 says, And they'll say to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Again, notice verse 10. God's comfort to the Christians at Thessalonica that we will be delivered from the wrath to come. But in the tribulation period, Revelation 6.16, those folks will absolutely understand that they are enduring the wrath of the Lamb. I also find it interesting that in Revelation 6, 16, and 17, that they cry for the rocks to fall on us. They, try, they cry for the caves to hide them from the wrath to come, but they don't seek the salvation of Jesus Christ. How foolish and short-sighted. They say, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Well, the answer is there are those that will stand during the tribulation period. The Bible tells us that people will be saved. Jewish people will be saved as the sand of the sea. And they're going to make it through, many of them will make it through that seven years of intense uh, persecution and enter into the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. So it is possible now in, in Thessalonica, Paul says to them, hey, you're under persecution, it's nothing like it's going to come, and you can handle this. To the Christians that are going through the tribulation period that are saved after the rapture, God's grace is going to enable them to go through unprecedented persecution. I just say that to say this. I don't know what you're going through in your own personal life, but if God can be with the Thessalonians in the first century, and God can enable and empower the Christians during the seven years of tribulation period, he can probably take care of you today. He can probably give you the strength to stand for today. Because what we are experiencing in America, Alexandria, Fairfax County, is nothing in comparison to what these folks went through. And it's nothing in comparison to what those folks are going to go through. God's grace. We see the word in verse 4. Election, knowing brethren, beloved, your election of God. And whenever you think of election, you think of Calvinism. And I'll just say, this is not Calvinism. Calvinism that says God chose some people to heaven and God chose some people to hell and you can't know whether you're one of the uh, chosen or one of the, uh, or one of the doomed. Uh, this is not Calvinism and this is not written about salvation. This is uh, the collective that God has elected, God has designed, God has ordained for the church to be the organism that is going to influence the world for Christ, that God has decided that. This is not talking about uh, whether or not some have been chosen uh, to heaven. This is not Calvinism. Uh, This is about spreading, verse 5, 
the gospel. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. England had a case uh, just recently. Uh, the 911 call center uh, uh, lighted up, and a call came in, and the fellow on the other end of the phone said, I'm, I'm drunk. It was odd because the 911, it was a 911 center, and it was before noon on uh, this past Monday. Um, if, you're, if you're drunk before noon on a Monday, uh, you probably got a drinking problem, I would just say. Uh, but anyway, he, he called in the 911 center, and the 911 operator said, Police and fire, what is your emergency? And he said, I'm drunk. I'm drunk, and I have no idea where I am, and I, and I shouldn't be driving. And she said, hold on, uh, let me try to figure out where you, where you are. And so she triangulated, uh, they were able to triangulate uh, the, the cell signal and tell where he was, and they sent the police out there uh, to find him. And they did. They found him on the side of the road. Uh, he was parked, and they, went, and they locked him up uh, for driving uh, while intoxicated. Then they took his uh, blood uh, alcohol content was three times of the legal limit on a Monday morning uh, before noon. And this is what he said. Uh, I had kind of a rough weekend. Rough weekend, my eye. Uh, you started the week kind of bad yourself. And, and listen, and, and there's no excuse. And there's going to be no legal explanation that he can give as to why he engaged in this conduct and then got behind the wheel of a car and tried to drive down the road. There's going to be nothing that he can say in court that is going to minimize the effects of the punishment that is going to fall upon him. <clears throat> no legal defense. You let me say, Christian, and the Apostle Paul bearing this out in the first chapter, there is no legal defense for sin. You can say, I had a rough weekend. You can say, uh, you don't know who I'm married to. You can say, the kids pushed all my buttons. Uh, but there is no, there's no reason, there's no legal defense for sin. What, what would Paul say to us? Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And there is a need for the Thessalonians in intense persecution to walk in the Spirit. There's going to be a need for the tribulation saints to walk in the Spirit. But there is a need for us today to walk in the Spirit. Why? Because we have been delivered uh, from wrath to come. Uh, follow, go back with me to Acts chapter 17. Take, turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. Because it is in Acts 17. You know the book of Acts, the... <coughs> Pentecost came, the disciples were empowered, the gospel was preached, and every chapter throughout the book of Acts, uh, there is the gospel being preached, people are being saved, uh, people are, are turning their back on the Lord Jesus Christ as well, and the gospel came to Thessalonica, uh, that that. that uh, uh, seafaring port city uh, in northern Greece. <clears throat> and that happened in chapter 17, the book of Acts. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there it is, <clears throat> where there where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul 
as his matter was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So here he is, Paul, Paul, it was his habit. There were people that were studying the Bible, Jewish people. There's a synagogue. Uh, there were uh, proselytes, uh, folks that uh, were uh, Gentiles that, had, that were trying to embrace uh, God's message through the Jewish people. And so Paul goes to the synagogue where they're studying the Bible, and he's going to preach to them Jesus Christ. The Old Testament scriptures that you're studying were pointing to Christ. And he's going to do that for three Sabbaths or three weeks. Uh, Verse 3, what is he preaching? Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Paul preaching the same message we are today. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ saying to the Jewish people, the Old Testament scriptures pointed to Christ, that he had to suffer, that he had to die, that he went to the cross, that he rose again. Verse 4, what is the result? And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. There are all kinds of people that were trusting Christ that formed this church that we're now reading about in Thessalonica. But, verse 5 starts with a but. And whenever people are getting saved, you're always going to find a but. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city, this 200,000 people, in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason and brought him out and said, you're harboring uh, these, these folks that are, that are turning the world upside down. And that's the beginning. I say that to say this. Thessalonica takes us four years down the road. Now this infant church, these new believers, they're now in, Thess- in, Th- in First Thessalonians, they're four years of age. It was four years ago, Acts chapter 17, that Paul preached to them and they embraced Christ. And you think, who in the world is the greatest persecutor of Christians in the city of Thessalonica? Jewish people that had rejected Jesus Christ. My dad often said this, that he'd rather deal with an unsaved man than a person who claimed to know Jesus Christ or claimed to be religious or claimed to be a churchgoer that did not live the Christian life, did not live for Christ. The biggest persecutor of the Christians, the believers, in in Thessalonians chapter 1, are the Jewish people who said, we will not have Jesus Christ to rule and reign over us. We, we will not. We will not. Startling. They're in the synagogue. Again, verse 3, teaching that Christ suffered. Uh, the result, again, in verse 4, some believed, uh, but there will always be those that reject the gospel message. <clears throat> verse 7. Look at verse, uh, verse 6. 
And when they found them not, they drew Jason. They didn't really care who they were persecuted. They were really after Paul, but they couldn't get Paul. And so they'll, just, they'll take whoever. Listen, they'll take you. They're equal opportunity persecutors. And uh, certain uh, brethren uh, under the rulers of the city crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Paul, he's here. Oh. Verse 7, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Uh, that's a lie. <laughs> Saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Well, that's sort of true. And they troubled the people and rulers of the city uh, when they heard these things and when they had taken security of Jason and the others and, the, and of the other, they let them go. Uh, they required a bond. There's going to be a court date. Uh, it's going to be heard, but they had legal rights uh, being uh, Roman citizens and uh, they, a bond was posted and they were able to, to leave. I just say, here's this brand new church. People are just getting saved. Jason has just trusted Jesus Christ as a savior and boom, Persecution hits. Now you think about when you trusted Christ as your Savior and how many years now you've been blessed to walk with Jesus Christ and how many years you have been privileged to have the Bible, to understand, to grow in grace. But here's Jason right at the very beginning and he's trusted Christ. He brought Paul into his home and he's given him safe haven and meals and what's the first thing that happened? He gets locked up. I just say, we probably have no reason to complain. Uh, don't raise your hand. Anybody been locked up this week for, uh, for, for their faith? I may, maybe I should stipulate that. But here's Jason. First week in Christianity. And he finds himself locked up. I mean, how, how do you even know what to say? It almost takes your breath away. But it just seems like the Jews in chapter, Acts chapter 17, verse 5, are, I don't want to say blissfully ignorant, uh, they're willfully ignorant. They've been, it's been three weeks, Paul has preached, he has reasoned, his reasoning is sound. Paul is, is a brilliant mind. He is a brilliant Bible scholar, and he is able to defeat any and all objections to the gospel, and they've just flat out rejected Christ. Just flat out rejected it. The book of the world in Acts 17, in Thessalonica, of those 200,000, are blissfully ignorant. In four years later, You've got the Greeks, they're still worshiping idolatry, they're, they're going about their business, it's still a beautiful port city, there's still idolatry and immorality going on, uh, there is a gospel witness in the midst of that, the vast majority of the people in Thessalonica have no idea. The church is doing its best to get the gospel message out to 200,000 people. Now, they don't have... Uh, internet, and they don't have telephone, and there's no TV, and there's no radio, and there's no uh, text messaging, there's no, uh, there's no way to get the gospel message out in a more um, speedy fashion than a door-to-door, house-to-house, mouth-to-mouth. 
I just say that because it's going to take them a while to get the gospel message to all 200,000 people that are living in Thessalonica in that day. They're just, the majority of them are just blissfully ignorant. Australia uh, this week had a, a dad who was at uh, the, the uh, store, and at the store they had several uh, little uh, boxes. You know, kids can put their diamond and get a bubble gum or get a little thing. And they had, they had some games out there. And one of those was the claw game. You know, it's got that, uh, that silver thing and a big, big box, big window. And there's all kinds of teddy bears and stuff inside. And uh, you, you operate the thing and the claw comes down. And uh, you're not going to grab what's ever in there because it's designed to drop it. Uh, but people play it. It's the, the three-tong thing it goes down, picks the thing up, it drops off, and uh, they take your money. <clears throat> And a dad had his little, uh, his little guy there, his three-year-old uh, there at that place. And this is what dad said, a typical dad. I just turned my back for a minute. And he turned his back for a minute, and the three-year-old disappeared. He crawled into the outtake and around the door and climbed up into the machine. I'm not sure how he did that. A dad turned around, and the kids inside of the machine playing with the three-year-olds, playing with all these toys. So the police and fire get there and say, well, what happened? He said, I don't know. I just turned my back for a minute, which is, which is dad speak that says, I wasn't paying attention to the kid. I have no idea where he went. Otherwise, when he started to climb into the thing, I would have grabbed him. Uh, but so dad's saying, I, I wasn't paying attention. I was irresponsible. And most of the ladies, you're smiling and go, yeah, that's a typical man, irresponsible. Uh, uh, and and so, uh, so here's this child, and it's a, it's a really cute picture if you want to uh, look it up later on. Here's this child sitting in the middle of this machine. Fire guys are out there. Police guys are out there. Dad's out there. Everybody's up. Upset. Man, he's not upset. He's playing with the toys inside this big, uh, uh, this big glass box as they're trying to figure out who's got the key to open it up to let this poor kid out. And what was he? He was blissfully ignorant of the situation that he was in. That's the majority of people in Thessalonica. They were just blissfully ignorant of the trouble. And listen, the world is in trouble. Yesterday, um, I don't know, 33 of us, uh, went knocking on doors. Uh, what, how many people are there in the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area? I don't know. Fairfax County has 1.2 million just in our county, not counting Alexandria City or Arlington, uh, Falls, Falls Church, not counting the, uh, what's going on in Maryland, Montgomery County, and all the way around. There's a lot of people in the Washington, D.C. metroplex area. The majority of the people that are on the other side of the door, they're not bad people. Uh, They're not wicked in their own mind. They're just blissfully ignorant that someday they're going to be left behind to experience a tribulation period because they've rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, delivered from the wrath to come. Take, go with me back to First Thessalonians uh, chapter one, because there are two uh, there are two things that are mentioned. They're, they're delivered from the wrath to come. They are not delivered from present suffering, and they are also not detached uh, from their stated purpose. And what is that? To get the gospel out. 
So in verse 7, there are two names that are thrown out there which probably don't mean anything to you at all whatsoever. But to them, it was important. What are those two names? Uh, you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8 is mentioned again. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia. Macedonia, so Italy, water, Greece, Athens, harbor. Where is Macedonia? Macedonia is 70 miles inland to the northwest of Thessalonica. Achaia, where is that? Well, Achaia is way down here, west of, west of Athens. You can go down, there's a, little, there's a little inlet of water, and it's just on the opposite side of that. Why is that important? Well, that's 319 miles south and west. It was just kind of interesting. Thursday, I was in the office, and I said, I wonder how long it takes to get from Thessalonica to, um, uh, to Achaia. And this is what it said. It, it showed the route on, on MapQuest, or whatever program I was in. Uh, this 319 miles. And it said, on a good day, you can do it in five hours. Uh, but it was just kind of interesting Thursday night, and I think it was 6, 6.30 or 6.35 when I did this, uh, there were like five uh, traffic, uh, and one said uh, slow traffic. One said extremely slow traffic. Uh, it was just, it just a high, intense route today from Thessalonica all the way down there. Say, preacher, why is that important? Because back then, uh, there wasn't a, a super highway to get them from one place to another. And it wasn't an easy task to get that 300 miles from where they were down to where these people were. But they did it. Why did they do it? Because the gospel is important. So how far did Corey make you go on Saturday to take the gospel message? I don't know. We got in our cars and we went down. We were down in the Mount Vernon area uh, yesterday. Uh, did it take us 15 minutes by car to get there? Now, these people in Thessalonica, this church that was burst in Acts chapter 17 and now is four years of age, this church that immediately started suffering persecution didn't let it slow them down. What's slowing you down from serving the Lord? What is slowing you down or stopping you from fulfilling your stated purpose? I just say that we don't have things near as bad today, and we absolutely should be about the Master's business uh, telling people about Jesus Christ. It is a serious undertaking, but it is a whole lot easier today than it was in this day. <clears throat> It was early 1990s, and a Georgia church was giving an account, their yearly summation of their last year's work for Christ. This is what their report said. Members received, zero. Members dismissed, zero. Members died, zero. Members married, 
Zero. Missions money given. Zero. And this is the quote that came at the end of their report. Brethren, pray for us that during the next year we may hold our own. (laughs) You just have to laugh and think, you know what, I think you're already holding your own. I don't think we want to be like you. And it's easy for us to look at a church and say, wow, those, those folks aren't doing anything. Uh, here's a question. What, what, are, what are you doing? What are we doing? What are you doing? What have you done this week for the cause of Christ? Say, well, preacher, I am under persecution. Well, so were they. Well, preacher, I've been saved now for, for four years and I'm under persecution. Well, so are they. Well, preacher, my, person, my persecution is more intense than theirs. I doubt it. But certainly not more intense than those that are saved during the tribulation period and are trying to hide from uh, the Antichrist. What are you doing for Christ? What's slowing you down? You're part of the church that God has elected, that God has chosen to spread the gospel message throughout the world. You're, You're part of something that is really big. And we should be about the master's business. If this new church of four years can start a church 70 miles up here, 319 miles away, uh, at a time when, again, the interstate highways weren't there, uh, certainly we can go across town, across the street, uh, to a neighbor to tell them about Christ. The church at Thessalonica is absolutely an inspiration, ought to be to us today, to get busy Working for the Lord. It was New Hampshire uh, this week. A gal went out to, uh, to throw her garbage out. And somehow uh, went, I don't know, because she's not talking. But somehow, whether she threw her garbage out and she looked in the dumpster and she said, Oh, wow, that's not garbage. I wish I could. I I don't know. But somehow, when she threw her garbage in the dumpster, she ended up in the dumpster. I'm I'm not quite sure how that happened. But she's in the dumpster. Uh, Five minutes later, the garbage truck pulls up, and those big arms lifts it up, and it picks her up and dumps her in. So now she's in the back of the garbage truck. And the, the garbage truck, he, he didn't put put the thing back down. Garbage truck making a lot of noise, and uh, and she back there screaming. Well, he can't hear, her. Uh, he can't. But uh, the garbage company, in their infinite wisdom, installed a camera. So he's got a camera in the back bed, and so he can see uh, what's going on back there. And so he got this camera going on, and uh, uh, but he can't hear. And so he's in his routine, and he pushes compact. And so here's this lady in the back, and she's back there screaming. And if he had looked at the TV monitor, he could have seen her going, oh, no. And so he, he hit compact. And, uh, and then he hit, uh, you know, I'm going to hit compact again. And so he hit it a second time. And then he hit it a third time. He compacted the lady three times. And the people outside are, are running up to the truck and saying, hey, hey, there's a lady back there. And so finally he looks on the TV screen and he says, oh, yeah, there's a lady back there. A typical guy, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just say. Not, not paying attention, just getting used to pushing the button. But here we are in a world where the people need Christ. They're on their way to something that is a million times worse than being compacted three times in a truck. And we're just hitting the buttons of daily life, going about our, do- our day, uh, doing what we do with no uh, gospel track, no plans of witness, no 
plan to help. It's easy to be hard on the, on the garbage truck driver and say, man, he should have been looking at the monitor. Um, man, we, we really should be looking at the monitor. Are you pointing people to Christ? Are you about the master's business? Persecution slowing you down? Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Jesus is coming. Are you working? You're a Christian here this morning. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You say, preacher, I'm here. I'm a Christian, but I, I should be paying better attention to what's going on around me and being a better gospel witness. Would you pray, God, help me to do that? And I will. And I will. Okay, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for folks. They know you as their Savior. They're on their way to heaven. Uh, they don't want to be uh, blissfully ignorant, and they don't want to be inattentive. And I pray that you would help us uh, to see what is going on around us. Take some gospel tracts on the way out and uh, point people, encourage people, admonish people to flee the wrath to come. pray that you'd help us to do that as a church uh, body uh, chosen uh, by you to be the avenue by which the world is reached and individuals as individuals who make up that church to be busy about that business. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are not on your way to heaven. Say, preacher, I want to flee the wrath to come. Would you pray for me? I need to be saved. I need Jesus Christ. I need that. Would you pray for me? And I'll pray for you. Slip your hand up. Hold it up for just a moment. And I'll remember you in prayer. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The invitation song being played on the piano. The altar is open. If you want a preacher to pray for you, I'll be delighted to do that. You obey as God speaks. As the piano plays, God has spoken. Will you come?